Good evening, and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm your host, John Tarleton, editor in chief of the Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website. We're online at independent.org, I N D Y P E N D E N T dot O R G. I'm joined by my co host, Amr Gregarian. Hi, John. It's great to be here with you, and welcome to all of our listeners on 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org. We have another fantastic show for you this evening. We're going to speak with George Albro of the New York Progressive Action Network. We're also going to learn about the life and times of a New York City Christmas tree vendor from someone who's run a stand for many years. And we'll talk about New York City public schools and their disappearing libraries with the Indies' Ben Mankoff, who writes about this in the new issue of The Independent. That's right. We hit the streets last week with our December print edition of The Independent. You can find it in our red and white news boxes across the city and scores of public libraries, independent bookstores, cafes, laundromats, social movement centers, etc. And if the paper isn't near at hand for you to find, you can go to independent.org and become a subscriber and get every issue delivered straight to your mailbox. Right, and some of the highlights from the new issue are that library story that I met, we just mentioned by Ben Mankoff, which is uh, the perfect example of why the Indy is great, because we have someone who is a uh, public school substitute turned librarian turned reporter. Um, so, so we bring it to you from the heart of where it's happening. Uh, we also have a report back from upstate New York in Kingston, where a first ever 15% rent, rent, rent reduction was just won by some tenant organizing. We, uh, will then take you back to New York City and head to Sunset Park, Brooklyn, where, um, a young group of, uh, community organizers have put on a unpermitted weekly open air market that is flourishing uh then we go into some cultural pieces and we'll have a a really beautiful story on death and grieving uh the loss of of the love of one's life and and much more as always uh and we have more uh amazon labor union coverage too that you've uh spearheaded that for us over the past year (laughs) oh right (laughs) what are my pieces i forgot yeah, I've been um, closely covering the Amazon Labor Union and their efforts to organize uh, workers at Amazon um, owned by, you know, uh, one of the world's richest men, Jeff Bezos. Uh, and um, they're still at it, still fighting constantly, uh, getting new elections started in different places. And we did a story on their sort of small army of law student volunteers of a hundred of them that are helping the workers fight back against the company. So right. You have this trillion dollar corporation and all its legal mercenaries. And and they're now, uh, as you describe in this story up against this army of uh, highly uh, uh, motivated uh, law school students that are um, really uh, uh, going at that corporation. Yeah, and we sort of, um, you, you know, it's a reported piece, but it's also a profile of these students and, and the, the, the man who sort of inspired, um, the, the whole project in the beginning, the, the, this legal team project, this guy, Seth Goldstein, he's, was a volunteer lawyer for the Amazon Labor Union as of December 1st. He'll officially, um, be working for them, but, uh, he sort of, 
just was a, a labor lawyer for 25 years, working 16 years for the AFL-CIO, and was getting restless and saw what Amazon Labor Union was doing and said, I'm going to get involved in that. And uh, all these law students were inspired by also what Amazon Labor was doing and w- what Seth was doing, and now they're all fighting together. So uh, as always, you know, l- l- good luck to them. Right. Um, and, uh, I, I had the opportunity to, to write our cover story this month. Yeah. You had a great cover story that really sort of brought to light all of the fumbles that the New York Democrats made leading up to this recent midterms election, you know, different outlets uh, sort of hypothesized about different singular reasons why this happened, but you sort of brought all, all the steps together and laid it out. Right. Uh, many tributaries, uh, you know, uh, pouring into a, a larger stream, uh, uh, that, that led to these, uh, setbacks that really handed, uh, the House of Representatives in Washington, uh, to the Republican Party. If the, if the Democrats had uh, succeeded in their redistricting plans and which they failed badly at, and then if they had run, uh, competent campaigns, uh, especially in the suburbs outside of New York City where they lost so many seats, uh, you could have as many as seven more Democrats uh, heading to uh, Congress from New York, which would be the uh, majority, would give the Democrats a majority. Instead, we're going to have, you know, people like Lauren Boebert and Marjor- Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, leading uh, all sorts of uh, 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 deranged uh, uh, witch hunts uh, <laughs> um, in, in Congress for the next two years. And, and I mean, I mean, it really was in part, it was a comedy of errors. You know, a lot of these uh, high profile uh, politicians that are mentioned, uh, like Kathy Hochul, Sean Patrick Maloney, Eric Adams, et cetera. Uh, I mean, they, I mean, they, they really, uh, you know, sort of made their own selfish calculations and, and just ended up undermining uh, so much work uh, that, that needed to be done. And, um, yeah, sort of a comedy of errors, but also, you know, with uh, a huge uh, uh, national uh, implications, and and, and, you know, one thing that was struck by, you know, also was uh, a recurring theme uh, with the Democratic Party establishment here in New York is an aversion to the left. They can barely muster any energy to fight the right because they're uh, so concerned uh, about the the progressive or left-wing base of the party uh, you know, gaining an upper hand and actually pushing, uh, 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 policies that would benefit, uh, the working and middle class uh, people here in New York. All right. We'll be back with more after this short music break.
That was British alt rocker Robert Wyatt with Born Again Cretton. That's from the 1982 album Nothing Can Stop Us. Wyatt became a member of the Communist Party of Great Britain in 82, and his political beliefs are displayed in the choice of songs in that album, uh, which some call leftist propaganda, but he was a part of the very early alt-rock scene that included Pink Floyd and others. You are listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org. I am your host, Ambigir Garian, and I'm here with my co-host, John Tarleton. We help run the independent New York City's free independent newspaper since 2000. And today we have, uh, we have a little bit of a change in schedule for our listeners who were with us earlier. We said we were going to, um, speak with a, a longtime Christmas tree sales, uh, man who we're really excited to talk to. He's obviously very busy. <laughs> um, so Short staffed and busy. <laughs> Yeah, he's short-staffed and busy, so he can't speak with us right now. Um, but that's okay because we have indie reporter, um, Ben Mankoff with us early and we might be able to talk to David Good, the Christmas tree salesman later in the, in the show. Um, uh, right, John? Yes. We're, um, he, uh, he's, uh, told us that he, he thinks he, he might be available later in the hour. So we're going to try, still try to make that work. Right. And, and, and we're going to go to Ben here shortly, but, but first, uh, I, I heard there's a, a, a new development with the, the striking railroad workers or not striking railroad workers, but railroad workers who are fighting for a new contract uh, across yeah. Uh, the country. Yeah. We follow a lot of uh, labor issues uh, closely here at the independent and, and, and one labor struggle that's uh, dragged out over the last several years is the efforts uh, by uh, workers at 12 at 12 different uh, uh, unions that represent different uh, parts of the railway worker uh, workforce uh, to get a new contract and, and to get some much needed reforms at their, uh, at their workplace. Uh, the, the main uh, sticking point has been this uh, uh, scheduling system that the, the big railroad companies use that essentially keep the workers on call almost all the time and allow for a, a, a Basically, no, uh, uh, sick days or, 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 or days, you know, wh- whether for, uh, family crisis or whatever, health crisis. And, and the workers have, have found it, uh, pretty much I- intolerable. And, uh, unfortunately, uh, under federal labor law, uh, uh, the railroad workers, uh, are, are their own category and, and their ability, uh, to, to strike and, and to act, uh, collectively on their own behalf is, it is heavily regulated. Um, and if, if you think about uh, labor history in this country, it's a long, long time ago, but some of the fiercest uh, labor battles in the history of this country were around uh, uh, struggles of railroad workers. The, the, the great uh, railroad strike of 1877 was probably the closest we've had to a, a, a all-out general strike in the history of this country. Um, went on for weeks and, and, uh, many major cities were, uh, turned upside down during that strike, uh, the Pullman workers strike of 1894. So, uh, railroad, uh, workers were at the center of some major conflicts much further in the past. And, and, and they're now very strictly regulated because the rails obviously are a crucial part of the economy. Um, and, uh, President Biden yesterday announced that essentially he was going to ask Congress to Im- impose a new contract settlement on the railroad workers, 
uh, that he and the companies had uh, worked out. Uh, uh, four of the major uh, railroad worker unions, their members rejected that contract in, in uh, Democratic voting over the last month or two. Uh, they're prepared to go. They were prepared to go out on strike on December 9th. Uh, Biden didn't want that to happen. It would disrupt the holiday season, uh, you know, bad for the economy, et cetera. Um, and of course, the problem is Biden uh, in that under the uh, this uh, legal framework around the railroad workers, he could have forced a contract settlement that would have been more favorable to them. Right. That, that would have given them the sick days. They need the the total cost of, of, of the sick of the 15 days of, uh, of sick days for all the railroad workers would be about $750 million, which is a drop in the bucket for these companies that have been earning profits of up to $20 billion a year, engineering uh, multiple multi-billion dollar stock buybacks for executives and investors, total out of control corporate greed. And, and Biden, you know, he capitulated sort of Biden at his worst is like, oh yeah, I'm your pro labor president. I'm your buddy, but sorry, I got to put the knife in your back. Because uh, I don't want to offend the railroad uh, company bosses, and uh, your problems are, you know, just going to have to uh, be on the shelf. So the big question here is: Okay, so that's Biden's stance. Nancy Pelosi says she wants to uh, run this thing through uh, Congress ASAP. Is what are the workers going to do? <laughs> you know, they they've put up with a lot. They've they showed up throughout the pandemic, uh, and they're making some very. Uh, frankly, modest requests for uh, a little bit more dignity uh, and stability in their lives. And uh, will there be wildcat strikes? Uh, will, you know, will there be, you know, resignations or will they eat it and just go back to work? I mean, that's certainly what uh, Biden and, and Pelosi and, and others uh, su- support this uh, think will happen. Um, also, a big question is how will the broader labor movement respond to this? Because this, does bring up echoes of the of the 1981 Patco uh, air traffic controller strike that President Reagan uh, broke, and that was I mean the workers went on strike and he had them all fired, and it was a really devastating moment for the labor movement that really set in motion sort of a, 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 a an all out attack on labor over the coming decades. And in that Patco strike, most unions sat on their hands; they didn't want to be involved with it, and, and that lack of Solidarity among the unions, uh, you know, really left the Patco, the eleven thousand air traffic, con- air traffic controllers, uh, vulnerable, and they were pulverized basically. And of course, they were demonized in the media as being selfish and all the rest. And and their issue was essentially the same thing: they were overworked and wanted better working conditions. And for their troubles, they were crushed. Now, so we'll see uh, where this uh, goes with the railroad workers. Obviously, they have a potentially enormous power because. Uh, the economy uh, really requires the rails to to run and to move all that freight and product back and forth across the country, which, of course, brings the question, if they're so valuable and if their strike would be so devastating to the economy, why not give them the sick days uh, they're asking for? And, and uh, something I, I saw just before the show it, it, in the interesting uh, case of uh, a little bit of uh, political demagoguery, uh, some Republicans, including including Ted Cruz, are saying that the railroad workers' request is quite reasonable. So, uh, <laughs> you know, Biden comes in and takes this, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of uh, grossly sycophantish position for the railroad bosses, and 
uh, you know, his political opponents see an opportunity to make some hay from this because they know, uh, uh, he's such a sort of an establishment guy, uh, that he's going to try to go through with this. So, but the main thing is not what Biden at this point is not what Biden says or Ted Cruz says. It's what will the workers do and what will the broader labor movement uh, do to support the workers if they do decide, uh, to, to challenge this, uh, imposition uh, by Biden and Congress of a contract that they have already rejected. So on that note, as, uh, you know, we think about, uh, you know, the sort of the rise in worker militancy since the pandemic, this is going to be, uh, a key moment in that, in that process. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully the same mistakes of lack of solidarity, um, during the PACO strike aren't repeated. And, and yeah, hopefully we see some, triumph of, of worker power here but um briefly john i also just uh wanted to mention that today is the 23rd anniversary you're reminding me earlier of independent media so um just sort of quickly share with our listeners what that means i'll let you do it since you were there and i was a baby <laughs> right well independent media has been around oh, for a, a, a long time but uh, uh media, media, yes. media the global network of, uh, of uh, radical media collectives uh, that really uh, helped pioneer uh, citizen journalism on the internet uh, was founded uh, 23 years ago today in in uh, Seattle, Washington, on the eve of the uh, of uh, major protests against the World Trade Organization that shut that city down uh, and, and really helped change the narrative around corporate globalization in this country. It's, uh, 23 years, it's a long time ago. I know there's probably people listening to Remember, other people might remember it very clearly. It was it was the story in in all the media in this country throughout that week. This was back before, you know, our, our media system was was so fractured as it is now. I mean, it was on all the TV networks. It was on you know the major uh, news weeklies of that era, Time, Newsweek, etc. And it, it it was a moment where, sort of out in seemingly nowhere, uh, all these uh, this coalition of of Labor, environmentalists, consumer rights activists, uh, indigenous activists from around the world who came to Seattle all coalesced to oppose the, uh, these international trade deals that were being essentially written by major corporations and their lobbyists acting through, uh, uh, politician, you know, uh, bourgeois politicians. And it was a really powerful, uh, moment, uh, and, and it, indie media, this, the novelty of that was, it, for the first time as sort of the early uh, stage of the internet, uh, some, some radical techies came up with a way to make it incredibly easy for people to self publish, uh, uh, whether text or photos or video on an internet website. Before that, you had to know a lot of code and it was more difficult. And, and, uh, and so indie media pioneered that, uh, technology at, and in this case, it was at the service. Of making radical media to to counter corporate media narratives uh, initially uh, around uh, the protests in Seattle and in indie media uh, that idea uh, spread and and you had uh, hundreds of indie media collectives that uh, took root around the world over the next several years uh, reporting largely on what was happening in their uh, city or country and that's and uh, we had an indie, uh, indie media collective emerge here in New York I was fortunate to be a part of that. And that's where the independent came out of. Uh, we were one project uh, of the New York independent media center. Those other projects, uh, faded away over time and we, uh, continued and we're still 
uh, here 23 years later, but you know, it all begins with uh, visionaries and, and radicals that helped uh, rethink how, you know, how we could use the internet uh, to build radical uh, media. And then here in New York and in some other cities, people are like, Hey, we want to, uh, you know, put this media in print so that we can, uh, you know, reach a, a wider audience than just people who might come uh, to our website. So, uh, you know, certainly the independent was always created with the idea uh, of, um, of being able to reach a, a broader public uh, with the kind of stories uh, that uh, Ben Mankoff uh, wrote about the disappearance of uh, school libraries in our in our schools. And uh, I'm excited to talk about that here in a minute. Right. And uh, I'll just make a very quick PSA uh, before we uh, reintroduce uh, Ben. But uh, sort of like the uh, WTO uh, conference that you all were protesting uh, 23 years ago, um, there is the annual uh, New York Times Deal Book Summit, which is back for the first time in person since COVID. And um, it's happening tomorrow at Lincoln Center at 6 p.m., uh, you can find it on the New York Times website. I think there'll be a banner drop of protesters. Present will be uh, Eric Adams, Ben Affleck, Sam Bankman fried which is the founder of FTX. I'm not sure if he's going to still be there after his scandal. We have the CEO of TikTok, CEO of BlackRock, CEO of Netflix. We have Andy Jassy, the CEO of Amazon. We have Benjamin Netanyahu. Yes, I'm not lying to you guys. Benjamin Netanyahu, Israeli Prime Minister, Mike Pence, the Secretary uh Janet Yellen of the Department of Treasury. Um, and this is all under the aegis of the New York Times. Wait, wait, wait. Mark Zuckerberg and Zelensky will be there. So um, that's all under the aegis of the New York Times business, um, culture, politics. Be there as the conversation unfolds um, with well, today's their conversation. minds. Anyway. Yeah, this is why we have outlets like WBAI and the Independent, so we can have a different kind of conversation about uh, things that really matter. You're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI. I'm Ambigarian with John Tarleton. It has been great to have you with us this hour. We would like to thank our board operator, Reggie Johnson, and uh, leaving you today, uh, you'll hear I'm Alive by Nora Jones.